The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The word of the Lord. Oh, you got it. <laughs> you want me to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Serves me right for leaving it up here, you know. Thanks, Felicia. When I think about epiphany and a light, that light shines actually today in words. I remember back when I was in Scouts, we were up in a some backpacking trip up on the Mugion Rim and near Prescott, Arizona, and lots of ponderosa pines, and we had found a nice camp site, and, and of course it's getting a little bit close to dark, and what do you need when it gets close to dark? You need some firewood. You need some light. So I took off, you know, to get some firewood, and of course I didn't see a whole lot of firewood around, so I kept looking, and I wasn't really paying attention, and I don't know if you've ever been in a big ponderosa pine grove, but most of the trees look alike. <laughs> so I kept on. I was going to bring back to camp a lot of really great firewood, because we were going to have a great campfire, and I just kept walking and kept looking, and, and uh, all of a sudden it started to get a little closer to dark, and I started, wow, I guess I better start, you know, uh, headed back. And I started to head back and realized I had no idea which way was back. And all the trees looked the same. Now, of course, I could not just start screaming for help. That would be humiliating. 
all my fellow scouts would be like, oh, you got lost, did you, Bill? So I'm going to try and find my way back, but it's getting closer and closer to dark, and I'm not, everywhere I go, it's not seeming to get me right, and I can't seem to find any spots. You know, I did all the things wrong, and um, I'm just about ready to start, you know, like, help, and you know, I have a pretty fairly decent loud voice, I'm told, but anyway, so I was about ready to use it, and then I heard in the distance, Bill. Fortunately, my brother, who was on the same trip, looked around and didn't see me, and he started shouting for me. I yelled back, Phil! And between the shouts back and forth, I got my bearings, and I made it back. What a difference a voice, a word can make when you're lost. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, and he proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He proclaims a word to us today. And that word is a light. That word is a revelation about who Jesus is. Lamb of God. Now, lambs were not used in the Old Testament, interestingly, for sacrifices for sin. They were definitely sacrificed. And, of course, we have the Passover lamb, that incredible event where the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb, was spread over the lentil, the the doorpost of the people of Israel when they were in Egypt, um, the Hebrews. And, of course, the angel of death would pass over those houses. And so you have to think about that when you think about John saying, this is the lamb of God. But this lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So it's interesting. Now, we're used to that phrase. We sing it every Sunday, the Agnus Dei, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it's interesting. What seems to be happening here is the evangelist, John the Baptist, and then John the Gospel writer, seem to be taking two images that sac- of sacrifice for sin and then this perfect lamb of the Passover and bringing them and putting them together. It's kind of like when Jesus said, what's, you know, he told everybody the greatest commandment. What is it? Love the Lord your God, come on, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your right. Now, do you know that those are, that's not a direct quote from the Old Testament? The first part is from one passage, the second part's from another, and he brings it and puts them together. Well, maybe that's what's happening with this phrase, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Because after all, if the promise, the good news that comes to us as we hold up this cup of the new covenant, blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins, as we hold that up, as we receive that gift, that word, and that promise, is that the sin, which what are the wages of sin? That that passes over us. That that's the gift we've received. So in the midst of, you know, the forests and the many trees of our broken relationships, our physical illnesses, our cancers, our addictions, our grief, our peer rejections and peer pressures, the, the constant trial we're always under out there in the world, measure, trying to measure up. In the midst of that forest and getting awfully lost, we have the promise, and sometimes off, wrapped up in the sin of all that, we have the promise that the blood of Christ has been shed for us, that 
Our sin passes over. We don't receive the wages of that sin, and death passes over. What a good news when we get lost to hear this promise, huh? Well, the amazing thing about this word that we hear in Epiphany, this revelation, is it's not just a declaration over us and about us. That's for certainly true. But this word comes in a much more dynamic force. It isn't just proclaimed over us, but this word comes and claims us. It calls us. It encounters us. It engages us. Um, The way I started thinking about it, I don't know if this works, but... um, you know, who, who owns our lives? Right, you know, right? That's the safe Sunday school answer, right? God. But it's true. If we believe God created us, then we belong to God. That's, of course, the battle that human beings have with God. We want, our own, we want to do it our own way. But, you know, so God has, but God has a claim on us because he created us. It's a simple analogy. You know, there's been a few times when I've gone to a fancy enough place where they had a coat check. Have you ever been to one of those? Just a couple times. You know, you you go there and you hand somebody your coat, and what do they give you? A claim check. That's right. Well, it's kind of like this. When God's word comes to us, it's like God has a claim on our life. I claim you. I created you. You are mine, but he doesn't come after us like, I want you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to punish you. No, I want you, I want to be in a relationship with you. I claim you as my own. When you hear the word that John the Baptist speaks, when the the whole story of the scriptures culminating in Christ speaks, when you hear it, it isn't just for you, it also does something to you. It does put you to death and bring you to life. It does make a claim. The biblical word for this claim is, is in all three passages today, and it is simply the word call. Call. I mean, I just love those videos of the, prof- of the would-be professional athletes, you know, when they're waiting on draft day, you know, and they got their whole family around them, and they're waiting for that call, and they answer that phone, and this is Pete Carroll. How'd you like to be a Seahawk? We need some more defenders. No, we need a couple good choices next year, right? Okay, sorry. Anyway, um, but, you know, and then everybody just erupts. Woo, yeah, we got the call. I mean, what would it be if you today, in the faith of your baptism, as will bring Amelia to this call and to this waters and to this word and to this revelation, this epiphany, this gift, what would it be if as you remember your baptism, you would go, wow, God called me? What would that be? What would that look like? Check this out. What does Paul say to the Corinthian church? About him, Paul, how he understands himself, he says, Paul, an apostle, called by the will of God. If you ask Paul, who are you? Paul would say, I'm called. That's who I am. God's called me. And who's he writing to? He's writing to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. That means made holy, set apart. You've the blood of the lamb, you know, you've been sanctified, you've been made holy, the sin have been wiped out, taken away from you, so now you're holy. He says, I'm writing to those sanctified, what? Called to be saints, that is to be the sanctified, the, whole, the called out ones, the, the holy ones. So what Paul is actually saying is, I'm writing to people who are sanctified and called to look like it and to live into that. Be who you already are, in essence. 
So, Paul, so what, what is our identity? If I asked you, who are you? Well, after this service and after this day, I'm called. That's who I am. I'm called by the will of God and the faith of my baptism to shine the light that Christ shined. The servant in Isaiah says, I've been called from my mother's womb. And then at the very end of that passage, I don't know if you notice, it says, I'm chosen. God chose me. God called me. Yes, Jesus understood his life that way. But the promise now is that word comes to us and it sweeps us up into that same call. Who are you? One who is called. But I kind of um, missed the mark a little bit. Because this you is not a singular you, this is a plural you. Paul is speaking not to individuals, yes to individuals, but he's speaking to a church. What would it be for Silverdale Lutheran to really get today that God had a specific purpose for us and called us out into the world to proclaim the good news and, and to shine God's light? I mean, if we really got this, I think it would wake us up. I think more than a third of the congregation would say, I got to get there on Sunday. I got to be a part of this. This is my call. It's not, I, I, I'm sorry, I might get a little excited here on this, but I'm tired of American Christianity, which is basically, I'm going to go to the grocery store I like. Which church do it fits my needs best? Like, like you're going shopping. That's ridiculous. You've been claimed in your baptism and you've been put into a church and you are called to be his light to the world. That's what you should think about when you wake up on Sunday morning, not, hmm, I wonder if it's going to be a good sermon or not today. <laughs> no, I'm called to be there. Whether we have an orchestra or we have a worship band or we have the organ, whatever it is, I'm called to be there. I'm called to be a part of that. What about if you looked at your checkbook, your debit card, and you said, yeah, my money is called to proclaim the gospel. Maybe you, we would stretch ourselves a little more in that regard. What about your time? What about your treasures? What about your gifts? Do you have a sense that you are called? Here's the deal. If there's one thing that I think answers why, if, if indeed American Christianity is in the decline, which some people think it is, um, compared to places in Africa, certainly so, the one difference is that I think as lay people... You've somehow thought your call is kind of secondary. The real important call is the pastors, the professionals. They're the ones that make the church. We're not the church. You are. I'm just one of you. Jonathan's just one of you. Paul is just one of you. Yes, you've said we want you to preside at the altar, administer the sacraments, to baptize, to do the Lord's Supper, to preach, to teach, to disciple. Yes, we want you as a leader. But let me tell you something. If that call of ours diminishes yours, we've missed the boat. Because your call, my call, in the face of our baptism, that's what makes us who we are. Do how's your sense of call today? Your gifts, your talent, your treasures. Like, wow, God looked at me and said, here's the claim check. I want you. I, I love Paula's sermon on, um, on Christmas Eve, how she talked about the story of being in the adoption court. I was talking to someone who was adopted recently. No, I talked to someone recently who was adopted. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
And they were sharing their story. It was a powerful story, and there's a couple other people listening. And they were adopted later, later in their teens, like 13, 14 years old. And the one of the other people listening said, man, that must have been kind of hard, wasn't it? To not really have people who really claimed you until you were 14. And he, he said, yeah, that, it was, but actually it was really beautiful. Because you see, I was a really messed up teen. I was a problem. And they still looked at me and said, we want you. Is it any different for you and I? Because when I know I start talking about call, I, you know what, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm not very good. I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't have this. I'm, you know, does he know who he's talking to? Are you sure? Blah, 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 blah. Hello, I'm a human being. I don't measure up. Yeah, you don't measure up. But God looks at it and says, oh, I can do something with that. I can do something with that person's gifts. Absolutely. God loves to call broken, frail, weak, struggling, broken people into ministry because that's who we all are. And he's looked at us and he's adopted us and he's called us by name. That's the light. That's the gift today. That's the gift Amelia will receive in baptism. That's the gift we've all received. Let us treasure it and be reconnected into the sense of call this day. Amen.